Hey, one more thing before you go. How would you like to learn how to use music to soothe your soul, calm your mind, and tell your story in a unique way? In this episode, we're going to do just that, when we have a conversation with an individual trying to build a business, raise a family, and help others along the way with her unique skills. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About Music Is My Refuge. My guest in this episode is Corina Portis. She is a composer, a solopreneur, and founder of Koi Compositions. She writes music for podcasts, video games, and more. She's been a panelist at the Salt Lake Gaming Convention and a contributor to the Silicon Slopes Tech Summit. She's a mom of three kids under the age of eight. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So you're a composer. When did you know you wanted to do that? Probably from a very young age. I started learning how to play the piano when I was three. Um, And I loved playing the piano. But I remember watching Disney's animated Beauty and the Beast. And there's a scene when the wolves are chasing Belle and the Beast. And the music there that Alan Menken created has always touched me. I love it so much. And I wanted to be able to create emotions with music the way that he created emotions in that spot. So I remember wanting to do it from a very young age, but for the longest time, I thought that I could only play what other people had written. And so it was when I was in college that I started writing my own music. That's a little bit of a journey. Mm -hmm. But it's a great realization because as we know, you and I both know that music is a language. It's a universal language. Mm Mm-hmm which is great. And you kind of got that message at an early age. So you went to college. Is that where you got your training? Yeah. So I went to college. I got my degree in piano performance and communications. Um, So I'm more of a self-taught composer. Um, I use a lot of the skills that I learned through music theory and everything that I had to do in my performance um, degree. And I was a a professional piano player. I was a professional concert pianist for a few years um, before I got a shoulder injury and decided that I should not do that anymore. And that was when I was like, hmm, I've always loved writing music. I'm just going to do that now. So, And I teach piano on the side also because I still love doing that. But my business focuses around helping tell other people's stories through music because that's, like you said, it's a language. It communicates with us from, you know, everybody has this individual reaction to what the music speaks to them. And I love helping people tell their stories through that music. If you don't mind, can you help us understand how that creation, how that works? Because it Sure. It's interesting to me when you hear a song, any song, no matter, no matter where which genre it happens to be, you know, 95% of them, maybe 90% all tell a story. Mm-hmm. What, what's your inspiration to write something that tells a story? I mean, where do you get that inspiration? Um, well, Amanda Palmer said that you can only connect the dots that you collect. So when you're writing music or creating art of any kind, um, whether that's your podcast or, you know, a visual art or whatever it is, um, it's going to come from experiences that you have lived, breathed, and assimilated to. You can't just see something and say, oh, I'll write music about that. Like, you have to be able to embrace it as part of your life, I feel. And so a lot of my inspiration comes from just what I've lived through. Um, But when I'm writing music for a client, then my experience is only part of the equation. You have to be able to hear what is their story? Why is it important to them? What are they wanting to share? What aspect of the story do they want their audience to connect to the most? And those 
pieces of connection is what makes the music connect to them. Um, and so I do a lot of, um, when I, when I talk to potential clients, I talk to them about, mostly about their emotions. What emotions do you want your audience to feel when they experience your message or experience your art form? Um, and that emotion is what leads me to the work that I do. That's interesting. Do you just compose the music itself or do you compose lyrics as well? Um, I've done both. Done both? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of my clients don't ask for lyrics, but um, I'm capable of doing both of them. From a personal perspective, I listen to some of your music, your personal music that you've written. It's very beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Um, where did you get the inspiration for things like that? Is it something that happened in your life that you, that you translated to music? Yeah, it's usually um, me trying to find a way, <clears throat> excuse me, me trying to find a way to create connection either to myself, to something that I don't completely understand in my life, or a way to help express to others and invite them to become a part of, of my life, to be able to say, this is what I've experienced. Come and join me. Um, come and be on this journey with me. So always a very introspective experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it, I, it absolutely is. You said you were a concert pianist for a number of years. When did you stop that? Um, I stopped doing that in 2007. Is that when you started your business? Um, no, I officially started my business um, three years ago. So the... Yeah, so there was a bit in between where I did a lot of teaching and I kind of, I was still composing, but I didn't have a business model and I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I was scared to do it. So I just wasn't doing it. <laughs> and so I understand. It, took, it took a while to actually commit to this is what I want to do. And so this is how I'm going to do it. Well, that, that works. I think there's a little bit of, there's some time in there that you obviously get married and you had some kids. And mm -hmm. so we'll fill that in and then maybe come back and touch on how you started. Yeah. Your business. So obviously you're married. Mm -hmm. so yep. Yep. We've been married for almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. Does your, your husband appreciate you practicing music and playing music hours upon hours? <laughs> yes. Great. I'm very grateful to him. Um, he's a drummer. And so he understands the music side of things and so he is both my best and my worst critic, aside from myself, um, because I can play something for him and be like, it's so great. And he'll be like, you know, this part doesn't work. I'm like, yes, it does. And then I'll go listen to it. I'm like, oh, he's always right. He always <laughs> knows. But it's great. He helps me, pushes me. And yeah, he's always been the number one supporter of what I do. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, it's interesting. My kids, I've got kids in the entertainment industry and they're both actors. So mm -hmm. I always have to ask them and check them. Are you competing against yourselves or are you supporting yourselves? So luckily, they're both supporting mm -hmm. each other. So it always works. Yeah, that's great. At least it works better, I should say. <laughs> so along this way, you became, let's talk about motherhood. Yeah, motherhood is one of those great and terrible things in life because it is so great, but sometimes so hard, <laughs> but still so great. Like it's like this perpetuating cycle of, is it amazing or is it so hard? 
and it's both. Um, and they build upon each other, I feel. So, um, yeah, so I have three kids. I have a daughter who is eight, and I have two boys who will be turning six and four later this year. Um, and yeah, it's fun. I really like it. It's a smaller family than what I grew up in, but it works for us. Are they showing inclination of being musically inclined? Um, so yeah, my youngest probably shows the most inclination just naturally. He's constantly making up songs and he loves sneaking into my room and stealing my drumsticks, even though he knows he's not supposed to, but he risks it every time, um, just because he loves playing with them. And yeah, and it's really fun. And my other two kids always want me to teach them. Uh, but get bored of it pretty fast. I also don't try to teach them as strictly as I teach my actual piano students because that conflict of interest is just not worth the fights. <laughs> Eventually I'll be able to find them teachers that they want to learn from. But. That's a positive. Both my kids went through the phases of playing, mu playing musical instruments and then dance. And then they stuck in dance for, um, let me see, since the age of, well, actually, early, early age, three, three and four, mm -hmm. around the four-year-old age, we got them into dance because that's what they wanted to do. And they danced all the way through high school, both of them, uh, which, you know, they really enjoyed. But after high school, they kind of delved into different directions. And one became a graphic artist and designer, and one became an actor. Man, what a wonderful background for those um, career choices, though. Because the thing about music and dance and any performance art is that it really does seep into every aspect of your life. I have seen music bless the lives of mechanical engineers, and I've seen music bless the lives of people in finance. And my husband, who is a musician, he now does statistics and data analysis, and that's what he loves to do. But the driving force of music and performing arts has always been a foundation for how to find creative solutions to those problems and how to find joy in expressing yourself and what you love doing. Have, have you ever, have you used um, music in any, I know that you had mentioned to me that you had some losses along the way. Mm -hmm. You feel comfortable talking about a little about that? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. So in, I became acquainted with loss in high school when in the four years that I was in high school, six of my friends passed away from multiple causes, drunk driving, hit and runs, um, suicide, cancer, you know, it just kind of wow. passed the whole spectrum uh, through my four years of high school. And that was an interesting thing because you really had to grapple with what you believed and just believe it because there wasn't anything else to do about it. I don't know how to, how to better explain that. Um, and I definitely turned to music and poetry as places of refuge through those losses to kind of try and figure out what is it that 
I want to create from this loss. David Kessler, who's uh, one of the foremost researchers on grief, he has a book called On Grief and Grieving that is really fantastic. If you're currently going through a loss, I highly recommend it. But he talks about how the meaning is not found in the loss. The meaning is found, the meaning of the relationship and of your life and everything is found in what you do after the loss and how you keep going forward. And so that's kind of something that I've used my music for, definitely, is being able to uncover the meaning that was always there and apply it in my life in a way that I can um, always have it with me. And and those people that have touched my lives and, you know, now um, as an adult, I've experienced other losses, grandparents and friends. And one of my friends, her daughter just recently passed away. You know, I mean, every loss is tragic, but that doesn't make life meaningless. It gives us an opportunity to continue creating meaning with them and the relationship that we had with them continually evolving through that loss and that process. So, um, it's, and I think everyone can find their own way to create that meaning. It doesn't have to be through music. That's just what speaks to me the easiest. Some people find it through supporting a cause, you know, suicide awareness and prevention or organ transplant donations and awareness and, and things like that. You can find meaning through whatever you choose to continue doing. And it's not about forgetting the person. It's about growing the relationship as you continue to grow as a person. It's very profound. And realistically, at least from my perspective, I know that in some of my research that I had done in my university experience was uh, utilizing music in creative hearts therapy mm -hmm. and allowing music to help people through grief and depression and through other aspects of life um, through the use of music. And I mean, that was only a small portion of mine. There was the music, but it also we talked about dance and we talked about drama therapy and mm -hmm. we talked about anything creative arts related, art therapy, painting and things like this. But music and dance were two primary ones that uh, the majority of the class were actually interested in helping to promote mm -hmm. because of the connection that people have with it, including, I mean, you ever when you lose somebody, a lot of times you will think of, a song that was playing at the time that you heard and mm -hmm. that song helps you to remember that person again not necessarily the incident but you say oh yeah i, thought, I remember that i forgot about john i haven't thought about john in a long time but i remember we did this in when that song kind of a thing so yeah so i, I agree with you that's you know that's interesting because music is music is ingrained in memory and it's because um, at least in part, it's because our brain is able to interpret how we feel about music faster than any other medium, verbal, written, photographs, other than, you know, really jarring war-torn pictures or events or things like that. Our brains know automatically that's bad. We don't like that, you know. But when it comes to the more subtle aspects of living, when we hear music, our brain can interpret how we feel in less than three seconds. It's faster than any other medium. And it's something that our brain is able to latch onto. And I don't know the exact reason why I'm not a neurologist, but I am always fascinated that because of our connection to music and the quick connection that our brain is able to make in those instances, that music then becomes a part of our forever memory. 
even in Alzheimer's patients, music is something that has always been able to help them, you know, there's, there's been Alzheimer's, there's been studies of Alzheimer's patients who could play musical instrument, who would forget everything, but you gave them that instrument and they would just play because they know it. And it's something that never goes away. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, I, I was uh, going to share with you, I had part of my research that I had done, I found that uh, in 1940s during the war, before they knew what PTSD was, they they called it other things than PTSD, but it's essentially PTSD in the, in today's talk. The people that were in the veterans' hospitals, they tried music as a therapy to help them relax and calm down. And like 99.8% of the time, it literally calmed and relaxed these individuals down there who were having episodes when they were in the middle of one because it, they didn't really understand it. They knew it was war-related. They knew it was trauma-related, but they weren't sure how to necessarily deal with it or manage it. Mm-hmm. So somebody came in and said, let me try something. And they tried music and immediately everybody started calming down and relaxing and enjoying and forgetting about the trauma and, and helped them heal. It was really interesting. Yeah, yeah it is super fascinating. I, I am a firm believer that art in any form is resistance. I mean, what you are choosing to resist is kind of up to you, but um, art is resistance and it can resist pain and it can help you resist grief and it can help you resist injustice. And it can, it's just such an amazing tool to, because what it does is it gives us a doorway to create empathy and to create awareness and understanding and that connection without that connection, we can't create change. And whether it's change in our own personal lives or change in our communities or whatever it is, we need that empathy and understanding. And music is an amazing catalyst for that. I agree with that. It also brings families together, sing-alongs in a car trip. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, um, When my kids start arguing, I am notorious for just starting to sing a song because it's so much easier than yelling at them. And it's a lot more effective. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, that's fun. So you had mentioned to me about uh, suffering some postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, can you help us understand a little bit of that and whether or not music helped you to overcome that? Yeah. So I experienced postpartum depression after my first baby and third baby. And uh, with the first baby, I didn't really know what it was because I didn't start experiencing it until she was 14 months old. And my understanding of postpartum depression is you have the baby, the baby's born, and then you're depressed. And if if it doesn't happen right away, then you're home free. Awesome. I was great. I had no issues. Perfect. And then I was just getting tired all the time. And I was not motivated. And I would sit there and just watch America's Next Top Model all day, every day is basically what I did. And um, thankfully, she was a fairly easy toddler. So when she cried, I'd help her and then she'd be fine. And I would just sit there because I couldn't do much else. Um, My husband was still in school. He was in school and working. um, And 
I just continually berated myself for being so lazy. I'm such a lazy mom. I'm such a, you know, terrible person. I'm not being productive. And um, I actually, during that period of time, considered quitting music altogether. I was like, what's the point of teaching? What's the point of making music? I'm not good at it anyways. Um, I, you know, considered donating my hundreds of dollars of worth of piano music that I have. And I'm really glad that I did not do that. But I considered it because I was like, I'm never going to play again. So what's the point? And um, I was grateful that my husband was like, this isn't normal, like just being lazy and unmotivated. There's something else going on. And then when we realized that it was postpartum depression and that, in fact, awareness, postpartum depression happens anytime from the birth of the baby up to two years after they are born is when the hormones for specific situational postpartum depression to occur. Um, and I think the statistic is that one in nine dads also can be affected by postpartum depression. It's not because of the hormonal changes, just but it's because of the major life shift that they're going through. And there's almost no support for fathers. Um, and the support for women usually goes up until the baby's two months old. And then if they don't experience it, then the support is gone, unless you know exactly where to find it. Um, and so I started trying to find some support, put, gave myself small goals. I realized, oh, this isn't me being a terrible person. I can just stop blaming myself for that and was able to work myself out of it kind of a little bit. And then music came back wonderfully. And I was like, why would I ever give this up? I'm never losing you again. You know, it was pretty crazy. But then after my third baby was born, again, postpartum depression didn't come until he was... I think he was 16 months when I started having postpartum depression. And this time it was more than just the laziness and the lack of motivation and the and just being tired all the time. This one came with massive mood swings and not eating. And, you know, it was a lot more scary to me. And it's funny because you'd think that since I was aware of it now that I would realize, oh, I'm experiencing postpartum depression again. But no, I still needed it to be pointed out to me. Like, what have you eaten recently? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Piece of bread. But that was like four days ago, you know, and he's just like, please eat some soup. Like, <laughs> he like, it was like 1230 at night and he was heating me up some soup because I hadn't eaten anything in a few days. And so then I went to therapy for that. And through this instance, when I was upset and didn't want to do the things that I loved, I was able to talk myself into why I love it, like rem just remembering that. And so the, with the second instance of postpartum depression, um, which lasted a lot longer than the first time also, music was a huge help. I was able to be more open about it and talk more about it. And then with the help of therapy and knowing how to talk about it this time, being able to go to my parents and my sisters and be able to talk about it, even though it's really difficult to talk about at the very beginning, like it, it was really hard to admit. And I don't know if that's because of the taboo culture that we kind of have around it still, or if, 
you just don't want to believe it. I don't know. It's probably a combination of both. Probably. And so um, being able to learn how to continue moving forward in your life, regardless of the depression, the depression doesn't need to stop you. It does its best because it tries to convince you that it's a club for just you. You're the only one experiencing it. No one else feels as awful as you. And therefore you must be doing something wrong. Like that's what your brain tells you is normal. And my dad was able to help me understand like your brain is trying its best to help you, but sometimes your brain is wrong. (laughs) Like right now, your brain is, you can't trust it. You can't trust what it says. And so you need to be able to trust your therapist and your husband and trust us as your family and people that love you and support you that you are okay and that you are doing what's best and that this isn't permanent. And for some people it is permanent, but even with that uncertainty of how long is this darkness going to last? And there's an amazing book called The Happiness Trap by psychologist named Russ Harris. And he talks about being able to recognize how we just constantly chase after happiness and we get stuck in that trap. But really what we need to do is chase after our values and establish our values. And when we do that, then no matter how we're feeling, if we're feeling sad or if we're feeling angry, if we're feeling happy or nervous or scared or whatever the emotion is, we can still act within our values and move forward. And music is what helped me connect to what I want to go forward into. So, I mean, that's, if you have other questions about what I said, but that's the basic outline, I think. Of- no, I think you gave a very good description of it. In fact, I, you know, I had never known or had been advised that uh, men go through it as well in a different way. I didn't know that. Uh, so I think that that's a very good educational tool for other individuals out there who may be wondering um, the, the same thing that they're going through because I'm a father. I went through two births and, you know, I look back on it and now mine's been a really long time ago. The possibility exists that, um, yeah, I may have uh, suffered some of that myself because again, it is a complete life change. It is a complete lifestyle change. I also was not aware that uh, most care stops for a couple of months, you know, at a couple of months after the baby's born, which I think is I think the awareness for the medical community needs to be stronger in order to to really recognize the fact that this exists and that it's not supposed to be taboo and that it needs to be discussed and it needs to be managed. Uh, mental health and mental health in general in this country, a lot of times, and obviously we, we won't get into a long tangent about mental health in, in America these days, but mental health is uh, challenging in in the United States because you have a lot of people who are literally their answer to everything is a pill and or a prescription pad and go away. But there's always underlying issues that need to be resolved and unmasked. And and so I agree with you. You know, and, and people out there who are in any way feeling postpartum depression, if you recognize anything that Karina just said, please reach out and ask for help and see, seek and search some opportunities to get some and manage your health because it is a situation that needs to be managed and it's nothing to be ashamed of. For sure. It is, it's something that I realized as I was receiving support for my mental health, that every human being has mental health, just like every human being has physical health and social health and, you know, all of those aspects. 
every being, regardless of the chemical makeup of their brain and how their brain works, has mental health that they need to take care of and manage. And so if you are experiencing, you know, extreme exhaustion, or if you are experiencing anxiety in any form, or if you are experiencing, well, I really used to love that, but I just don't want to do it anymore at all. Like those are huge um, things that are important to ask why. Um, And another thing with with my postpartum depression, the second time that I experienced it, it was also coupled with thyroid issues. And I wouldn't have ever thought to go and get my thyroid hormones checked. Um, But it turns out that a lot of my exhaustion that I was experiencing was just being magnified by the depression and really had to be managed through medication to help my thyroid manage itself better. Um, And that helped, you know, and so being able to go and just say, I have concerns about this, or I have a question about this, no one is going to berate you or blame you. And if they do, they do not deserve your time and space. Don't give it to them. There are people who are definitely going to support you. And as a human being, you deserve that support. And so it is like, I remember being in the hospital with my first baby and all they did was they just gave me a flyer that if you, that helped Teach me that if I felt like shaking my baby, that I should put her down and let her cry and just walk into the other room so that I wouldn't let, you know, shaking baby syndrome happen and that I should call the doctor to get help with postpartum depression. And that was the only instruction that I received about postpartum depression after having a baby. Um, And that was in 2012. You know, so it's not, I mean, there's probably more awareness happening now than when I was having my babies, but it's still not enough because people still don't feel safe enough to say, I need help. And needing help is a human trait. It's just, it's part of being human and you can have compassion for yourself. If you're having a hard time, I'm just going to keep dropping all the books that I love on here. If you're having a hard time asking for help and recognizing that you are worthy of help and that you are not a burden to need help, I'm a recovering addict of that thought. The book called Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff is an amazing resource to help teach you how to give yourself that care that you deserve. You can receive that care from other people as well, but you should be a primary caregiver to yourself and recognizing that we all are human and we all deserve that care. And most of that care can come from inside of us is something that I'm still learning how to actually put into practice, (laughs) but it is an important skill to learn. And I'm grateful for the people that have helped me recognize that I needed to learn it. What is fantastic that you had a, a, a support system, basically, that helped you to move forward with that. And everything is baby step. You need to take the first step. You don't take the first step, then you don't get anywhere. For sure. Completely. Oh, that's a great opportunity. Well, you you obviously manage your mental health pretty well now, and you got back on track for making music. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. So... Let's discuss why you wanted to start. I wanted to start my business so that I could have an excuse to write more music. (laughs) That's really kind of where it started. That's Um, a good excuse, see? (laughs) I'm like, it's selfish to just do it for myself. I should do it for other people and then they'll pay me for it and it'll be awesome. And I totally had this fantastical image of what that would look like that is definitely not how real life operates, but it was a good start to the dream. 
Um, Everything yeah. starts with a dream. <laughs> it for sure does. Um, yeah. So then I, I started, um, I initially was like, I am going to be a video game composer and I've never done that before, but I love video games. And so I'm just going to start saying I am a video game composer because why not? Um, I can't tell people that I want to be one because then they'll never take me seriously and let me try to do it. So I have to assert myself and say, this is what I am because I have decided that is what I am. So I started going to a bunch of these events, um, networking events and um, parties where those kinds of people gathered, um, conferences and things like that. And I would go and say, oh, I'm a video game composer and just starting meeting people, um, which I find very fun. And that's probably one of the worst things about COVID-19 is that all of my conferences and events have been canceled. And I miss being around strangers who like nerding out about the same things I do. So, um, but as I was doing this, there were a lot of people that were like, oh, well, I have a podcast. I'm like, oh, that's neat. So anyways, when you have a video game project, please call me. (laughs) And I was like, oh, like it took me a little bit, probably longer than it should have for me to say, oh, well, I can write music for podcasts too. Why would I not? Um, It's also a great storytelling technique. And that's what I love doing is storytelling. Um, And so that's when I started writing music for podcasts. And it's just so fun because you really have to, with a video game, you get to play with these themes and kind of branch off of all of these different aspects of the music and help them relate to each other and go through all sorts of different emotions and scenery and places and actions. But with the podcast, you have a very short period of time to get your message across in the music because you're not going to have like a five minute theme before the podcast. Nobody's going to listen through that. And so being able to say, what is the core of their message? And what is really the, the heart of the emotion that they need to connect to their audiences? And so it's, it's a fun challenge for me. I really, really enjoy it. And so yeah, that's so I, I just started doing it just like that. When I say this, please understand, I'm just going to ask a very direct question mm-hmm. um, because it's hard for anybody to start a business, yes. um, whether you're a man or whether you're a female, whether you're young or whether you're old. It's hard to start. I have a, I have a bachelor's degree in business management, so I understand it from that perspective because I know what it takes to build a business, a business plan, uh, short-term, long-term goals, you know, everything in between, startup costs net cost growth, everything, everything that pertains to it. So I know that it's also uh, sometimes more difficult for a woman to break into doing that. So how'd you overcome those obstacles? So I haven't completely, I don't think, I think I'm still in the process of doing that, especially since the field that I'm in as a composer and a composer of music for any aspect, but specifically a composer of video game music, it's very much a male dominated field extremely much. Um, and so it is hard. It is, it is often very hard because sometimes people don't want to take you seriously. I have been directly told by people before that because I am a mom, they couldn't trust me to be professional about the project that they were working on. And so would not hire me because I have kids and I can guarantee you they would not have said that to a man, even if that man had kids. Like that's just, so it is hard. And most of what I've had to overcome, cause I can't control what other people think or do about my gender and my family roles. 
Um, but overcoming my own mental hurdles about that has been probably is definitely something that I can control and, and has definitely been something that I had to work on because I didn't really realize people saying things like that to me and, oh, you're just a girl. By the way, I haven't been a girl since I was 17. After that, I was a woman. Like, don't call women girls. Syntax is important. Of course, it is. <laughs> and so it's interesting because one of my sisters is a mechanical engineer, and she's the only woman in her company and on her team. And she was like, I probably shouldn't let it get to me, but all the all my coworkers keep referring to me as the girl. Like, why does that bother me? And I was like, because you're not a girl. You are a woman, and they should treat you with the respect a woman deserves. And so don't let them call you that. She's like, oh yeah. You know, and so sometimes we need to remind each other yeah, that and support that each other. That. Sorry, my daughter's doing school in the same room. Um, I didn't realize how much those thoughts and words that other people were saying were affecting me. Um, and I was talking with some friends and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just a mom composer. And my husband stopped me and was like, no, you are a mom and you are a composer. They are not the same job and they do not, I mean, they affect each other in the way that they affect my life and how I choose to live my life and spend my time, but they do not define the merits of one or the other. Um, and so learning to do that, and again, it's all through support systems. Finding support systems is critical. And so I have found other amazing women composers that it's really nice to be able to talk to them about those hard things and support each other in those hard things. But one of the best things was that I found men who were willing to be allies to me as a woman composer and to say, I support you in this business and to be able to say, what do I need to do to support you in this business? And sometimes it's just saying, please make sure that I have a voice in this group. Men tend to talk over women when they are in administrative roles because they feel that the women should not be in those administrative roles or they just don't even realize that they're not giving the woman a chance to speak her ideas in, in this group setting or whatever. And so just being aware, you know, I've told many of the of the men that um, I'm grateful that I've been able to come into contact with in these settings to, you know, just say, when we're in a group, just make sure I have a turn. Like if you recognize that me or other women or gender non-conforming or minority setting people aren't getting an equal turn in voice and be, you know, just stop and say, well, what do you think about this? You know, that coming from you is so powerful. And if you hear people say derogatory things or use demeaning language, to say, hey, that's not a nice way to talk. It doesn't have to be this grandiose, like, come at me, bro, kind of situation. It really doesn't. Just being able to say, you know, I I was, I was at a conference and I was walking to wherever I was going for the next session and this guy whistled at me. And before I could think about how I wanted to react to that, one of his friends that was right next to him kind of hit his arm and was like, dude, we don't whistle at girls. And that was it. And I was able to keep walking on my merry way because somebody stood up for respectful living and treating other people as humans. You know, so that's kind of a lot of it. Um, as far as the business side of it goes, I started this business willing for it to take a long time because I wanted to be able to make sure that 
um, I had balance between my business and my family. Um, And with little kids, I didn't want to take too much time away from the time that I have with them when they're little. So there have been deliberate decisions that I have made, like not going into debt for my business. You know, you talk about starting a business and the cost that that takes sometimes. I started with what I had, which was very little and have slowly built up from there because I didn't want to push the monetary agenda. But that was a personal decision that I made. There are some people that might not want that decision or might not be able to make that decision based off of their financial needs. I am very, very much in a blessed situation where my husband has a great job and I don't need to worry about if I have a project every month coming in or not. And so I'm able to focus more on my acquisition of skills and not just chasing after any contract that I can get done. So things like that can be, can definitely sway what happens and how you go about it. But in my case, they've been very deliberate decisions to say, it's okay if my business takes eight years to fully get the traction that I dream of it having one day, you know, but for now I'm confident in saying I'm a business owner and I'm a composer and I'm helping people tell their stories and I'm just doing it through what I love, which is music. And that's a fantastic thing. And what you said earlier actually was very profound. People do need to understand that mutual respect is needed in all aspects, not just in business, but in life. Oh, for sure. Mutual, Mutual respect. Everybody here is a human being. Everybody deserves respect. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you. You have a new album that you released, correct? Yeah. I just recently wrote my first solo album, um, which is music with lyrics. Uh, for people who have seen my other work, that is usually just instrumental. So my album is called Head Voices. Right now, it is, so it's eight songs. And right now it is available to patrons of mine. So patreon.com slash Koi Compositions. It is, so my album is available on patreon.com slash Koi Compositions to any tier. So you can support my art and you get music from me every month. And you'll also get my album that way. And soon, I don't know when yet, but it's going to be on a pay what you up what you want platform. And that will be announced via my social medias and stuff. How can somebody find out about more of your other services? Like, uh, for example, podcast music and gaming music and so forth. Where can they reach you? Yeah, they can go to koicompositions.com. So it's C-O-Y compositions.com. And you can click the button that says get original music. And I have a rate calculator there. So you can say what kind of project it is and kind of, I mean, there's always the actual talking of what exactly do you need, but this gives you a rough idea of what it might cost to do what you need done in the time manner that you need it done in. Um, And yeah, when you say, you know, submit, then I get an email and then we get to talk and have a free consultation about what amazing stories you want to tell. So it's pretty exciting. That's pretty cool, actually. Any last words of wisdom? Yeah. Um, don't be afraid of the creative power that you have to change the world around you. Every human being, I don't care if they're mathematicians or scientists or, 
you know, feel like they're not creative. Every human being is a divinely created being and therefore has the divine heritage of creativity. And you are able to create the world around you to be better. And um, I think that we live in a world where it is vastly important for us to recognize the power that we hold because there are so many things that we can't control. You can always control the the possibilities of, of a better life and your creativity can do that. And the world needs your creativity. The world needs what you have to give because nobody else can give it. Even if other people are doing similar things, I don't care. They don't have your experience. Just like I said at the beginning with Amanda Palmer, you can only connect the dots that you collect. The dots that you collect and the way that you collect them is unique. And as unique as your fingerprint, nobody else can do it the exact same way. And the output that you give based off of that will bless others, starting with yourself. It'll bless your life. It'll bless the lives around you. So just step into it because we need you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for sharing your journey and everything else in between. I really think that we've given some advice to people that um, they can learn from, be inspired by, and move forward in their life. I will have links to all of your um, aspects on and all your, your album and your website and everything in the show notes for you so that it'll be easy for people to follow through with it. Great. Thank you. And feel free to follow me on Twitter at Koi Compositions, anything, any, any social media platform, just put Koi Compositions on there and you'll find me. If if so want to. Outstanding. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.